0: So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money, episode 1340, making a financial impact without any money with Elisa Kamahort-Page.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. Our world has gotten smaller. We've become more isolated. And so I see kind of a rise in people thinking more about local issues than maybe they used to. Because local public health, Local economy, local housing crises, I mean, these are much more kind of highlighted and in our face. Welcome to So Money, everybody.
0: I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. We are in conversation today with an entrepreneur who is passionate about teaching everybody how to align their values with their business mission, their personal financial mission, how to own your value and values, how to create profit and progress. Our guest is Elisa Camahort Page. She is a speaker, a consultant, an author. Fun fact about Elisa she is a co founder of Blog Her, an online blogger community that holds a yearly conference for women bloggers. It's now owned by She Media. It was founded in 2005. You may not have even known what a blog was back then. So, Elisa is a visionary. But in our conversation, we focus on how to make a social impact and a financial impact when you are making inconsistent income when you are self-employed or maybe unemployed? How can you use your social capital, your time to move the financial needle for yourself and others for your community and the world? It starts with knowing your values, which isn't always an easy thing to decipher. We unpack quite a bit here in 30 minutes. Here's Elisa Camahort-Page. Elisa Kamahort-Page, welcome to So Money. It's nice to spend some time with you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Many know you as the co founder of Blog Her. For those listening who are not familiar with Blog it is the OG of giving women who blog a real platform to create and monetize and connect uh, before it was even really a cool thing to do or a mainstream thing to do. So you were very ahead of the curve there with your co founders and Elisa. And so, of course, that was just the beginning for you. Since then, you have since left, but you've written books. You you've started more companies shall i shall we say and you are speaking now and really what you're passionate about Speaking and your message that you really want to put out in the world is what we're going to talk about today, which is how to align your money with your values, particularly for those of us in the audience where we have inconsistent income. This was you. Let's go to that moment when you co founded Blog Her, uh, Elisa, and tell us a little bit about the risks that you took when you launched that, given that, just as I explained, it wasn't yet this mainstream road tested idea.
1: Right. So back in 2005, Yikes. Um, I, yes, uh, I joined forces with my two co-founders, Lisa Stone and Jory Desjardins. And we decided not to start a company, but to throw a conference that was like any other tech or blogging conference, but all the experts and speakers just happened to be women. And they weren't women talking about being women. They were talking about being political bloggers or business bloggers or personal bloggers. And they just They happened to be women in that space. And that's because at the time we noticed that the mainstream was starting to pay a little bit of attention to blogging as a form of uh, content creation, community influence, and all the sources that they were pointing to and linking to and talking to were men and predominantly white men. And we were like, it would just, it would be a damn shame if we had this whole new media model and it just ended up looking like the existing media model. But we weren't, we weren't going to start a company. It was a labor of love. We, we went from idea to the first conference in four months. And it was only after that first event that we were like, wow, there's a whole women are really um, excited about this. They feel like they love it and, and they're good at it. And, why, and everyone says, oh, do what you love. The money will follow. Well, why can't the money follow? And why can't we um, sort of help create a market here? And so that's what we decided to do. But, you know, we bootstrapped for two years before we raised our first round of venture capital. Um, And after the first six months or so, we agreed to let our consulting, the consulting we've been doing, we agreed to let it go and to not renew clients and not to seek new clients and focus on it full time. And yet we were another probably year, year and a half away from getting around to funding that allowed us to pay ourselves um, salaries. Now, we paid a lot of other people. We believed in paying for content. We paid consultants and contractors, um, but we weren't consistently paying ourselves. And after we got our first round of funding, and I, we started paying ourselves a reasonable salary, uh, this whole topic of how to create align your values with inconsistent income came up because I did my taxes the first year or two after getting a salary again, and I thought, "Wow, I thought I was a generous person, but I am. I am not donating." very much at all compared to my mental model of who I was in the world. And I was like, I have to, I have to fix this, um, because I'm not, I'm disappointed in myself. And so that's what really started me thinking of this path was just personal shame.
0: (laughs) As it is a personal path for all of us. Uh, It's a recurring theme in my life too. When you are finding yourselves having these conversations with audiences and largely women audiences about, you know, putting your money where your values are, what, what are our values right now? And, Mm -hmm. and where are we, where are we sourcing our sense of, you know, where we want to make an impact? Is it what we're seeing geopolitically? Is it environmental? Like what, what are women caring about these days? Not assuming that it's just one thing either.
1: Right. Well, women, like any other group, they're not a model. And it's a big part of when I, after leaving uh, the company that acquired BlogHer, we, we, We raised four rounds of funding and we got acquired in 2014 and I stayed for a couple more years and then I left. And I ended up co-authoring this book, Roadmap for Revolutionaries, with um, Carolyn Durant and Jamia Wilson. And one of the points that book was to how to be a more effective, everyday advocate and activist for the things you believe in. And something I I strongly believe is that you need to triage. There are a lot of things in this world to care about and to that that bump up against our values. I wake up every day and I'm probably upset about 25 different things, but I can't, um, I can't focus on 25 different things and become an expert and become like super um, plugged in. So I always recommend thinking about what are the issues you care most about and who are leaders? Which issues do you want to actually be a leader in where you're out there talking about it, advocating about it? Um, and that's one kind of capital you have is your social capital of what you talk about and what you say. But who are the people or the organizations that are leaders and you just want to support them and how you support them? Obviously, money is one way. And so the first thing I always ask people, whether they're you know men, women, anyone, is to think about how they triage the issues. Where do you want to lead and where do you want to support And then begin to allocate the different kinds of capital you have based on that.
0: I really appreciate this idea of social capital. Not something we often talk about in real terms, but that is really something we can all do, which um, if anyone's listening, wondering, like, how do I make room for this in my financial life? I hear what you're saying is that you don't need to wait until you collect a paycheck to then give and be a part of the solution.
1: Right. Well, one of the things I did once I had that moment of personal shame is I said, okay, I'm going to give 10%. I'm going to create a personal tithe and I'm going to give 10% of my income every year, no matter what that income is. I'm not going to change. uh, I'm not going to allocate a dollar amount. I'm going to allocate a percentage. Now this requires me to track my revenue, my income, which I have to do anyway for taxes. Right. So, and it requires me to track where I'm giving. And then at the end of the year, if I have a gap where I haven't spent up to that 10%, then I go on a little December spending spree to do it. But mostly what I've done that I think is really easy, important, and valuable for organizations, charitable organizations, especially, is I've created a lot of small monthly donations to the organizations I most want to support. And we're talking, um, for some of them, it's $10 a month. For some of them, it's $50 a month. It really depends. But they're all digestible amounts for me. And for a nonprofit, most people don't know that given the choice, most nonprofits would take a monthly donation. A recurring donation helps them plan, helps them budget, gives them a really good sense of what gaps they're going to need to fill. So if they have the choice, they would have everybody giving them $10 a month versus $150 at the end of the month. I mean, at the end of the year, because it just is more helpful to them to create a sense of stability. So those are kind of the things I do. I align. I created a percentage. You don't have to do 10% if that feels like too much. You can do 5%. You can do 20% if you have way more disposable income. But I set a percentage. I track my income. I track my giving. And at the end of the year, I have a little fun. If I haven't done what I was supposed to do, I hold myself to it and I go do it. And um, that's what I do with the money part. But there's so much more, as you said, than the money part, which is where am I spending my social capital on social media? On talking to friends, um, you know if I have a platform, isn't that one of the ways I can use it? Isn't it one of the tools in my arsenal to use my platform? But there's also volunteering your time, your skills, your experience or your feet on the street for marches. you know all of these things contribute. and I would really I just really like to talk to people about expanding their vision of what it means mm-hmm. to contribute.
0: We talk a lot on the show about allyship. We just did an episode on disability and money and how in the community where if you're disabled, you know, so many opportunity gaps. And we had a wonderful guest, Emily Ladow, who's written about demystifying disability and how we can be allies. And that's just one example, one way. I mean, what I'm hearing really from you, um, Elisa, is like just raising the consciousness level just doing that waking up every morning and being like wow i am privileged i have gifts and talents and i wrote about this too recently like when i think like that that inherently makes me want to be more generous because i know that luck can work in both directions that my wow. luck is not um it's luck and it could have been lucky or unlucky knowing that just having that consciousness raises my um intention level and intention levels. And so I go out in the world and I I will volunteer to do something that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise. I will stick up for somebody when she's not in the room and we're having a meeting. Again, I didn't pay any money, but I showed up. Show, I showed up.
1: And that is so important. What is the work you do every day and how could you be thinking about how you contribute with the way you have whatever whatever decision-making, authority you have, whatever power you have, even the power of suggestion, you know, even we often say who was in the room when they made the decision to run that ad or to run that headline or whatever. Well, if you're in some rooms, you know, that speaking up is a way of contributing. And I also don't want to um, neglect to mention how you spend your money. It's not just how you contribute, but how how you spend your money is your economic vote every day. I really doubled down on this approach back when I was in my early 20s when I went vegetarian and then later I went vegan. And the driving force for me always was I don't want my money to go to certain places. I don't want to support certain industries or practices. So how I spend my money is what I'm really Mm -hmm. most focused on there. And the same goes for listen, we we, I'm not saying you have to be perfect and every economic choice you make is some moral high ground. Um, but it's better to do one thing than no things. It's better to do like five things than three things. Do do what you can, can, and then when you can do more, do a little more. And for me, part of that is how I spend my money every day. We have
0: done an episode on a woman, for example, who gave up Amazon.
1: I don't use Amazon. Yeah.
0: Well, so I'll, I'm curious to hear your take on this because then you read about how Listen, if everyone just, if everyone gave up their Prime membership, Amazon would still make a lot of money. And and so it, it can be discouraging sometimes when you feel like it's, you know, you're one person against this billion dollar, you know,
1: behemoth. Um, what what gets you motivated when you hear things like that? Well, I don't think about it as I'm trying to hurt Amazon. Amazon I'm a flea to Amazon. I'm a flea on a flea to Amazon. They don't care about <laughs> But what I'm doing when I don't use Amazon is I'm supporting my local businesses at my little downtown. I'm supporting the original maker of something by going and finding their website and buying direct from them. Um, It's who I am supporting, not necessarily. Like, I like to think much more about evangelizing for what I'm for than convincing you you're bad for, you know, being against what you're for. Like, this is, I'm just trying to say this is what I do because this makes me feel like my pocketbook is aligning with my values. And I'm not out here trying to pretend I can hurt Amazon, but I am supporting other businesses. That's a proactive, what I'm for is to help those businesses.
0: Well said. Do you think the last two years with the pandemic has made us more thoughtful on these sorts of issues?
1: And if so, why? I think the pandemic has had two competing things, two competing effects on how people think about this. I think it's made some of us um, I think it's made all of us in some ways more insular. Like we're really thinking about our world has gotten smaller. We've become more isolated. And so I see kind of a rise um, in people thinking more about local issues than maybe they used to because local public health, local economy, local housing crisis crises, I mean these are much more, um, you know kind of highlighted and in our face. Um, and on the other hand, this same kind of movement towards, well, all the communicating we're doing is digitally. I mean, most of it. And the more you spend online, the more you're going to be exposed to what's happening in places you're never going to be or places that you never really cared about. Um, and that is going to open your eyes. This whole, you know, this whole thing with Texas and the, the trans kids and the fact that I know because of digital communications, I know someone who Child Protective Services has been to their house to investigate them because they have a trans child. Would I have known that Like if I wasn't becoming more and more interconnected across the country and the world? Um, So these are two competing things, and they may compete for your attention, and they may compete for your dollars and, and what you can contribute, and I find I'm happiest when I again have a couple of issues i focus heavily on and then i move with the times and i have a little store that i've set aside of my mental emotional and financial energy for the things that are happening in real time that can lead to outrage and upset you know so mm-hmm. you know i try i try to balance i try to balance mm-hmm.
0: Going back, Alisa, to what you were talking about that that triage uh, exercise that you recommend we do, how do you ultimately land on those issues and causes, or at least how did you do it? Because I know that's you know obviously hard to give a soundbite on. But what was your journey? Um,
1: you know, it's 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 really hard. I mean, it's it's not an easy exercise. One of the things I did is I, uh, in preparation when the book was coming out, I made this little slide where I listed every issue I could think of that I was. Concerned about. And I came up with about 20 or 25 things. And yet, every time I go and present that slide to any group of people, people come up with five or 10 more issues that I didn't even think about. Like, so I clearly, if I didn't get it on that initial list, it's not something that's top of mind for me. And then looking at that initial list, um, I'm like, okay, well, how do I break this down? And, you know, I give to different issues differently that I I feel like being of, I care very much about animal uh, rights and animal welfare. And I feel like being vegan is my primary cruelty-free and vegan is my primary method of contri- contribution to that cause. Like, cause it affects how I spend my money and affects what I personally, you know, so I, and, and I do some giving around that as well, but a lot of what I do is in my everyday actions. Right. So, um, and then there's other things that I like politics. A lot of what I do is, learning about issues. And then I, I write a newsletter and I talk on Twitter a lot and I use my platform and I kind of dedicate my platform to talking about politics a lot. And a lot of, (laughs) excuse me. And I use my platform to talk about politics a lot. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but that's what I want to do. I like to talk about those touchy topics with my platform. So I'm dedicating a lot of my platform. Um, And then when it comes to like disaster, urgent things, there's a pocket of money that I'm just, what I can really do is money, money and money and sharing those resources with other people. Um, and then I, you know, there's just certain things that are very important to me. Reproductive rights is just always going to be top of my list. Um, that's even though I'm no longer the age where I really have to personally worry about it, you know, it's still, um, you know, so there's some things that I, I just had to list a lot of things and then think about which ones I wanted to give what to. And some of them, um, I just identified a few people I follow. So when there's something really urgent um, going on, I know that they will alert me that I should call my senator or I should send a email or I should donate 20 bucks. Like, But I'm not trying to stay on top of it.
0: Maybe something you didn't think I'd ask you, but since you brought it up now a couple of times, being a vegan yeah. and the finances around that. So I have often heard that, yeah, you know, it's really hard to be, to go vegan. It can be expensive. It's a lot of time to plan. Yeah. And how have you worked around those issues? If Are they even issues?
1: I think that they are issues. I, I think there is maybe a bit of a time issue. If you want to be a super convenience food vegan, which I have had times in my life when I am with the pandemic, I've become much more of a cook and like, slow, slow vegan. is that, I don't even know if that's a thing. But <laughs> I've been a convenience food vegan and convenience food of any kind, vegan or not vegan are more expensive. So that's for sure. Um, but as someone who, when I was coming up in the vegan world, there were no convenience foods. I went through a whole phase where I, I was like, Oh my God, there's finally good vegan cheese. There's finally good vegan burgers. Like I just went a little crazy with that. And now that the kind of the the, the shine is off that it's the novelty. Um, most cultures in the world, if you look at the foundational diet of many cultures around the world, they are highly vegan in nature. Some grain, some legume, um, you know, some greens, things that people grew, things that people um, can process themselves. And so if you wanted to be a super affordable vegan, you would have no problem. And there are websites like if you um, Google frugal vegan or you know, um, affordable vegan, you will come up with many, many resources, but you know, I, I, so I don't think that has to be an issue. Um, I do think that sometimes if you want to be that super frugal vegan, the time, you know, it just takes longer to, to cook beans than to buy a can of beans. And it takes right. longer to cook beans, cook grains and make your own grain and bean burger than to buy a beyond burger at the grocery store. Like that, that, that might be a slight trade-off
0: but quite an investment in your health, right? Talk about maybe some of the benefits that you have experienced since going vegan years ago.
1: Oh, that's true. And I would by no means uh, kind of buy into the myth that being ve- vegetarian or vegan will automatically make you skinny, will automatically make you have perfect health. It's totally not true. Um, but there, there is data to support that for most people going vegan or vegetarian can really uh, improve their health. And um, I will say that I am generally, you know, extremely healthy. <laughs> like, uh, I don't have, um, you know, and I just think that that's partly genetic as well. I'm not going to claim that's all from being vegan or vegetarian. I will say this that because being vegetarian and then vegan aligns so highly with my values, I'm a strong believer that, you know, uh, our sense of well being is connected to our sense of. I think the definition of being happy is how closely you live to your values. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you know, if you're not living in alignment with your values, I don't see how you could actually achieve happiness, really. You can be content with what you've acquired and what you've got going on, but there's something. And so I think the reverse is true that if you are living in alignment with your values, it's going to have a positive impact on your mental health, which is going to have a positive impact on your overall health because these things are connected. And again, that doesn't mean I don't have anxiety or, You know, I can't have other mental health issues, but that sense of mental well-being, of living aligned with your values, I think is invaluable for your physical health, not just your mental health.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we often say, like, align your life with your values, know your values, but it's like, sometimes... It, that even requires a little bit of instruction. Like how do I actually land on my core values? It sounds like I should just know them off the top of my head. And it does require a lot of introspection. It does require, uh, in some cases, trauma Therapy, Um, you've been traumatized, you've been brainwashed, you've grown up in a particular culture with very different value systems. And so you do have to do that work. Can you talk to that a little bit, that piece of it? Because I don't want to just take for granted, like, oh, just, you know, figure out your values and you're off to the next step. Mm -hmm. That is a very heavy step.
1: Yes. And I will say that living, you know, here in Western culture, we've all grown up soaking in a particular style of patriarchy and yes i'll say it white supremacy like we we inhabit some of that no matter who we are we internalize these things um and so yeah you're going to have it's not just like childhood specific trauma experiences you may have had it may also be working through how you were raised and what kind of society you're in and what kind of messages we get to this day like to this day i see more um, really mean, nasty stuff about, for instance, veganism, like people really don't like us, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason. And, and and that's just the thing. You are socialized in a big way, not to want to become vegan. Like, uh, but it, it applies to many, many things. So it, it's not an, an easy step, but I will say again, that I try to focus on what am I for? What do I support? What do I Believe in versus what do I hate? What do I want to you know get rid of? Like I really want to bring that energy. And I'm not saying that's for everyone. You might be some. You might be someone who is really driven by what do I want to get rid of? What do I want to cancel? What do I want to um, reject? And that may be the energy that drives you more. And I think it's okay for us to be driven in different ways. But you know, ultimately, what is the world that that you want to live in? I think is the question that you, we can ask ourselves and we can say, here's what perfect is, but on our way to perfect, like what would be something incremental? Like I don't expect to get X, Y, or Z, but what could I get that would make me feel better about the world I'm in? Um, and maybe work towards that. And I think that was part of the whole thing with Roadmap for revolutionaries was in addition to understanding what issues you care most about, it was a little bit of knowing yourself and. Do you like to think strategic and long-term? Do you like to be immediate and urgent? I found during the whole Trump era that I could I could not operate being swung from one outrage to the next day by day by day. Like I felt so anxious. I had to find something more long-term and ongoing and strategic to work towards just to feel like I had a, my feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other people who are like, I can't even think about four years from now. This is happening right now. And you have to respect your own. We're all different. You have to respect what makes you tick.
0: We're all on different timelines. We all have different energy motivating us. Elisa, thank you for giving us some really important things to think about. You know, this is a money show, but this is about money, right? This is like you had, this is the foundational work that can help us live more aligned lives when it comes to how we spend and give and Earn. We didn't even get into like building a business that's um, you know m- mission driven, but you know, you telling your story about blog her really gave us a nice um, captured that in a beautiful way. Alisa Kamahard Page, thank you so much for coming on the show and we will be following you.
1: Thank you so much, Marnoosh.
0: Thanks to Alisa for joining me. To learn more about her, please check out alisacp.com. I'll include links to where you can subscribe to Elisa's Substack called This Week-ish. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh where our special guest will be my friend, Georgia Lee Hussey. Can't wait to share the mic with her. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.